I actually want to talk to you about uh, a formula. I want to talk to you about A plus B does not always equal C. Now, um, do I have any mathematicians in the house? Do I have any accountants? Anyone who loves a good formula? No one, no one. Maybe there's a few of you. What you might not know is um, back in the day, I actually did an accounting degree uh, a long time ago. When I, went to, when I finished school and when I went to study, I didn't know what to do and all my cousins were doing accounting and like, my dad was accountant and I just thought, oh, this must be the right thing to do. And um, it turns out I wasn't that great an accountant. <laughs> I did work in an accounts department for a couple of years and kind of started my journey towards being a chartered accountant and quickly realised, I don't think this is working for me. Um, I do like a good formula though and I think what I like about formulas is, you know, like, this is what you put in and this is what you get out. Yeah. There's that sense of like they make sense. You know, you can count on them, they're not ambiguous, they're reasonably reliable. So I thought I'd just look up a few basic maths formulas. Some of them are gonna come up on the screen for you. Um, turns out I didn't remember hardly any of them. The only one that I particularly remember is, you know, A squared. That one I remember from school. The rest of them are kind of all a bit of a blur. And I don't know if you remember, some of the terms were a little bit familiar few of them, you know, might come back to you, those latest school years where we did a bit of A plus B, a bit of X plus Y, but I mean, really, I think the best formula is one plus two equals three, or one plus one equals two. You know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Formulas are good, and I think in life, we all want a formula. We all want the, if we do this and this, then we're gonna get this result, right? Can someone just tell me what the life hack is to um, look younger? Can I get the formula for having great kids? What's the formula for getting a full night's sleep? What's the formula for, I don't know, there's so many things. How many, verse, how many verses do I really need to read a day? How long do I need to pray? But have you discovered that sometimes the formula doesn't work? What happens when A plus B does not equal C? And I think so often in life we start off and we kind of think, well, if I just, you know, um, give here and if I study hard and if I invest my money and if I choose the right friends and if I kind of do this, this and this, then I'm going to have the life that I want. I'm going to get that life partner. I'm going to get that house. I'm going to get that career and it's all going to work out. But the problem is, you know, even when we kind of do all the things that we think are right and we line our ducks all up in a row, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all going to work out. I wish that it did, but as we go on in life, I think we often find out that the formula can fall apart, yeah. that it doesn't quite go exactly how we plan. Why? Well, because things happen, right? Yeah. Life gets messed up. People are people, we are humans, natural disasters come into play, and there's all this stuff that goes on, and I think that the world tries to sell us this kind of simple quick fix life hack formula, you know, A plus B does equal C, and we'll all live happily ever after, but unfortunately, it's just not quite the reality. And you know, even COVID, I mean, that messed up all of my formulas. <laughs> Something can happen randomly, and it comes in and it messes up our plans. And so this morning I wanna look at what do we do when the formulas don't work? How do we live this life, this crazy life that we find ourselves in, and how do we balance God and faith and what God is saying to us right now? And um, just for the record, I'm not gonna answer all those questions, so how about we take a moment to pray and let's look to God. Lord, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we just wanna revelation of you. God, I'm asking that you would just show us what your formula is for our life. Show us the, pay, the way forward. Show us 
what you want us to see this morning. I pray that you speak to every individual and every heart and every life. I pray that your presence would come and just like we did sing that you would be among us, that you would walk up and down these aisles right now and that you would touch and you would change lives. God, we're not here for a sermon. We're here to encounter you. We're hungry for more of you. So Lord, even in this moment as we're praying, as we're leaning in, I ask that you would come and that you would touch and that your presence would be thick on our lives and that we would hear your gentle whisper and that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well... I think that we find ourselves living in quite a unique time of the world. You know, a lot of things are shifting and changing, and um, we're kind of in this stage in life, and I mean, I'm just kind of putting it out there, and I'm not exactly accurate with all my facts, but it's like we're entering into a new era. We've lived in this certain way for so long, and there's been this kind of maybe political stability that we focus on, and and, um, even a bit of economic stability, but times have changed. Things are shifting. We're entering into this, what they call the gray zone, and you know, uh, what we used to think were absolutes are now a little bit vague. The, The absolute right and absolute wrong is not as easy to figure out as it once used to be. There's lots of stuff going on in the natural. There's, you know, there's wars, there's floods, there's disasters, there's economic situations and crisis and plagues. And and then, yeah, the economy has kind of gone a bit south and that's a big thing. We also find ourselves in the information age. There's AI, there's social platforms, which has changed how we do community, how we socialize, how we bring our kids up. And so we find ourselves in this time in history where everything is changing and shifting and it's moving so fast. And I think that for many people, what's happened is we've moved out of this kind of idealism into realism. And with that can come a little bit of that sense of doom and gloom and, and where's the hope, there's, there's fear of the future and there's anxiety as well. And so we face all these things at the moment and sometimes we kind of look at it and we think, man, like what do I do with that? But at the same time, we're seeing God begin to turn up like I haven't seen in my lifetime before. I'm seeing God turn up here. The spiritual temperature's increasing. We're hungry for prayer. We're, we're pressing in for God to move. We're hearing of testimonies and miracles and things that are breaking in people's lives across the world. There's these pockets of God moving and, and God doing amazing things. And I think that we're just on the tip. We're just beginning. God's just getting started. And it's pretty exciting of where he wants us to go. And maybe the climate that we find ourselves in is the perfect setup for him to actually come in because people need that hope so badly. They need something to put their faith into. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot to take in. And I guess what I wanna do this morning is kind of bring a little bit of balance to what we see. So we face this life with all these things and with the very real disappointment and difficulty. Um, and then we have this great God that we serve that we wanna have our faith and hope in. And how do we balance those two things? Because it's not just as simple as we think, is it? It's not just the A plus B equals C. And discouragement and disappointment are not easy to just push, push aside and shake off. You know, disappointment comes from unmet expectations. And we get disappointed when we don't get the things that we want or hope for, but we also get disappointed when we do get the things that we wanted. They say in life that there are, there are two things, um, two sources to human unhappiness. Number one, not getting what you want, and number two, getting what you want. Isn't it interesting? 
Because what happens is we think, oh, well, if I just get this, if I just get that new car, if I just have this promotion, if I can finally have my own home, if my kids would just get a little bit older, or if I meet the right person, then I'm gonna be happy, then I'm gonna feel satisfied, then life is gonna be okay. And we tend to put on these things that we want more happiness than they can possibly ever deliver. And so then when we do get what we were hoping for, it leaves us with disappointment as well. And we think, oh, is that all there was to it? I heard a podcast, and it was a ministry couple there in their 40s, and the question was asked of them, like, if there was one thing that you know now that you wish you knew in your 20s, what would it be? And the wife answered, and she said, you know, I wish that I knew, that we knew, she was talking about both of them, that all the things that we'd hoped for and all the markers that we had laid out, like, oh, if we get our church to this size or if we achieve this or if we gain this, I wish I would have known that it wouldn't bring the satisfaction and the happiness and that sense of fulfillment that I thought it would have you know, bought. And she went on to say, she's like, you know, I wish I would have known that those things, they, they provided a temporary, oh, that feels great, but they did not actually add any lasting happiness or satisfaction to life. And so she said that if she'd known that, it would have changed their goals. Their goals would have been much more focused on, well, how do I just love God more? And how do I love my family and, and do what he's asking me to do and not worry about striving and trying so hard? And I thought, what great advice. Maybe if there's nothing else out of this morning, that will be worth it. Because so often we put all our eggs in the basket of, but one day when, or if this and if that because I think we all come to this place where we realize on our own we're not enough. And so I need something else. I, I need to achieve this. I need to be this. I need to find this so that I can get what I'm looking for. But of course we find out that when we get to those things, we're still empty and we're just looking for the next thing. You know, King Solomon addresses this in his book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, this book is actually something that Solomon wrote in the later part of his life, and basically he started to realize some of the mistakes that he'd made, and he started to document them, and it's a book, the purpose of it really is to spare future generations, i.e. us, uh, from the suffering and the misery of seeking after foolishness, meaningless, and materialistic emptiness, and to offer the wisdom by discovering the truth of seeking God. And I want to read to you, you know, Solomon, before I read to you some of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was the man that God gave the most wisdom to. The Bible says he was the wisest man that ever lived. And he was a king, and so obviously he had all the resources he needed at his disposal. And so he made a decision that he would seek after, he would research, and he tried everything in an attempt to find lasting happiness. And he came to this conclusion that says in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. And then I looked on the works of my hands that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I toiled, and indeed all was vanity, and grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. I want to read to you the um, message translation of that, just because it, it kind of brings it to earth, and I'll just pick out a few verses. It's in chapter 2. He said, I said to myself, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure and have a good time. But there was nothing to it, nothing but smoke. Oh, I did great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards. He goes through this big list. Oh, how I prospered. I left everyone in the dust. 
And then he says, then I took a good look at everything that I'd done. I looked at all the sweat and all the hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke, smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. You know, Ecclesiastes is actually a great book to get into. It's a great uh, read. It's full of wisdom and truth. But isn't it interesting, King Solomon, who was the wisest man and had all the resources at his disposal, he tried everything, absolutely everything, but in the end, it was all nothing. And he comes to the end of Ecclesiastes and he comes to this conclusion. This is what he basically writes to clear up the entire book. He says, everyone's gonna eventually die and all the deeds of man are useless without God and our obedience must be to him. And Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commands, for this is man's all. Fear God and keep his commands, that's it. After everything he did, after everything he built, after everything he tried, that's what it came down to. Well, so far, this is a great message. A plus B does not equal C. Disappointment is if you get what you want and if you don't get what you want. There's no point to anything, it's all vanity. Shall we just all go home? Shall we leave now and go home and pray? No, we're gonna keep going, we're gonna keep going. But um, listen, this is the thing. I think that we would like life to be but more like a timeline. And so I am gonna try and draw a timeline for you. Um, and I think this is a lot of how we live. So let's give this a go, we'll see if it will work. If it doesn't work, the second service won't get it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so. If this is our life, we all have a start point and we all have an end point, I hate to break it to you, but that's what happens. And then we tend to kind of measure our life by these different things that are the natural progression or things that we want to achieve, right? So maybe we start school here um, and we, I don't know if it's Emma, she's getting her ears pierced here, so that's a very important marker. Uh, we might get some friends in here, uh, we finish school and then we get our first job uh, we might uh, find someone special in there. We find God, let's put that as a nice big one. We find God, uh, we leave home. If, does that happen anymore? Do kids still leave home? <laughs> anyway, they might leave home. Uh, we, might get our, we might get our first car. Um, we might get a job promotion. Let's put a bit of travel overseas in here, a bit more travel. Uh, we get married, let's get married. That's a big one. Get our first house maybe. Um, have some more overseas trips, get another promotion, um, lots of serving God, lots of church involvement, <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe a few more things, right? And I think that we, we kind of look at our life in, in these little squares at the time, right? We might take a, a kind of a piece of the timeline and that's kind of how we look at it. And I think if we're honest, we probably hope for a bit of a pattern like this. You know, we kind of hope that life is gonna increasingly just get pretty good, maybe a little dip off at the end, we might expect just a little bit, but not too much because by then we're super wise and we've, we've found God and we're content and we're gonna end well. You know, I think that's kind of what we hope for. Yeah. Maybe, that's what I hope for. But what tends to happen in life is this. <laughs> Some, sometimes it's, you know, and then we get some ups and, you know, it's, it's like this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's finish on a nice up, though. Let's finish on a nice up. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we put God in certain parts. We might put him in the highs. No, definitely God's here, God's here. God's definitely around here and here. Or some of us, we might put him in the lows. I call on God in this point. Gosh, I'd really spend some time in prayer here. Lots of time with God here, here and here. And if you're like me, what I tend to do is, because I want to get from this point down here back up to this point here, I kind of tell God how we can do this in-between part. You know, like I'll I'll tell him a three-point plan. Um, I might say, you know, if, if this is the timeline, I'm thinking one week would be good. One day, one day would be great. I need a bit of financial provision. I just need a bit of boost. I need a new friend circle. I need, I need some breakthrough, you know, and, and we tend to tell God, okay, I need to get from here to here. Here's how we're going to do it. <laughs> and it's a great theory, and God loves it when we pray, and God loves us talking to him, so don't worry, your prayers matter, and it's important to pray, and he hears you, he absolutely hears you, but it's not exactly how it works with prayer, because, you know, sometimes we're asking for the wrong thing, (laughs) or other times, have you ever done this, let's be honest, Um, you ask God for something and you haven't got it, so you just kind of keep on asking. It's a bit like kids, eh? You know, you ask them, they ask you for something, and you might say no, and they ask again in different words, and then they ask again in some more different words. Sometimes we can be a bit like that with God. We're asking and asking and asking, but because we're so focused on the answer that we want him to give, we might have missed the instructions in between of what he wanted us to do. Other times we ask, but because we're, wanting a certain answer. You know, there are times when God says, not yet. He's a good father. And you know, if we look at parents, the measure of a good parent is not our kids' happiness. The measure, I mean, that's part of it, but the measure of being a good parent is that we recognize what they need when they need it and that we're preparing them for the next step. It's not that we're always ignoring our kids, but we know if we give them a phone when they're two, you know, and it's their phone and they have full access, it's probably just really not good for them. They might ask 50 times, but we know it's not good for them, and so we're gonna give it to them later on, or maybe we can see things that they can't see yet. And so God cares more about what's happening in us than the outcome, right? He cares less about today's happiness and more about tomorrow's readiness. And sometimes when we feel like we're not getting the answers that we want, it's really hard to accept. And one of the hardest answers to accept in life is when God says, it's not for you to know. (laughs) And we see this in the Bible. The disciples were always asking Jesus, when when is the kingdom gonna come? When is the kingdom gonna come on earth? And really they wanted to know, and what is our position in that kingdom? Am I gonna be vice president? Where am I sitting here? And they asked him over and over again. And Jesus actually says to them, He says in Acts chapter one, um, where does he say it? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. In other words, now is not the time and you don't need to know when it will be, but for now, I have work for you to do. It's not the answer that we want. We want the how, when, where, why, and who, you know? 
but sometimes there are things in life. And God says, it's not for you to know. You can leave that one with me and I'll hold it for you. And it's not easy. And I encourage you, never stop praying, never stop communicating. But sometimes we have to change our question to why, instead of why, to Lord, help me understand why. Help me understand this process. Help me understand what you're doing here. And there are times that we will never know the answer to the question on this side of eternity. That's our invitation to mystery with God. If we knew all the answers, we'd never need faith. In fact, if we knew all the answers, we would be God. And you could tell your neighbor right now, might be a surprise to you, but I'm not God. Go ahead and tell them. <laughs> I'm learning though, that part of having a relationship with God is being able to trust him when I don't understand. <laughs> it's that invitation to mystery. Can we trust that he's good? Can we trust that he has a reason and that he has a purpose? So A plus B does not always equal C. And while we would like to make life this timeline, this formularized, controllable thing, it's not. But I wanna say, thank God that he doesn't work by formulas. Thank God that he changes it up because if my sin equaled what I deserved, I would be sunk. I wouldn't be standing here today. Thank God that he has some great maths that we're in financial, when we're in financial hardship, two plus two doesn't equal four, but two plus five equals 5,000 in the feeding of the 5,000. Thank God that with God, the doctor's report is not the final report, that there is a higher power and that there is a better way and that there is hope. Thank God that three days in the grave does not equal death, but resurrection. Thank God that he didn't listen to my plans and my formularized method because if he had done things my way, I would have missed out on so much good stuff that he had that I couldn't see at the time. Thank God that he did not answer all our prayers for the spouse that we thought we wanted, right? When we look today, we're like, thank you, Jesus. You knew better. <laughs> thank God that he flips the formula. His formulas are better. His formulas are supernatural. His formulas are so powerful. Thank God that I don't get the, what I deserve with his formulas, that his grace, that his love, that his salvation, that his forgiveness leads to a great future for each and every one of us. Thank God that one day we will get to the other side and we will understand the why, even if we don't right now. <laughs> There's some um, formulas that I've got for you on the screen that are some of God's formulas. And they're gonna um, come up very soon. I probably need to move this to the side a little bit for you. I will just bring it back though in a second. So, God's formulas. Two plus five equals 5,000 plus. The cross plus grace equals salvation. Faith plus prayer equals answers. Sin plus Jesus' blood equals forgiveness and a life that I don't deserve. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And then the last one is just to throw you off. <laughs> 50, 20, 8, 28 equals 1926. What is that? I'm gonna tell you, this one's one you can remember. This is what makes it all work. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, you meant it for evil, but I meant it for good. 
Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for the good of those that love him. And Matthew 19, verse 26, those two things equal nothing is impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. All things. <laughs> Let's flip the formula. You know, as much as we look at life this way, and this is gonna get messy because I've kind of run out of room, so I'm just gonna do it here. Life, I think, and my circles are terrible, <laughs> is much more like a circle than just a straight line. But in the middle of that circle is God. And he takes up all this area. He's he's not just in these points, he's in all of it. He's in and through and part and over all of our lives, every single part of it, every part of our life. God is in it, God is through it, God is working, God is up to something good, something more than we can think or imagine. That's the God that we serve. And I think that, you know, as we try and shift our focus from the controllable line that we plan and map out our lives to a bit more of the circle where things happen, but God's in everything, it can just help us use God's formulas rather than our own. And his formulas are definitely so much better. He's always working it for good, always, always. So I wanna leave you with three formulas that I really think do work in our lives to end. There are three life verses for me. There are many, many others, but I wanna give you three this morning. The first one is I am. Exodus 3, verse 13 to 14 is one of my favorite passages. It's when Moses has... um, He was in Egypt and he killed the Egyptian and so he went to the desert for 40 years and God turns up and meets him in a burning bush and he calls him again and says, Moses, I want you to go back. I want you to be the deliverer for my people. I want you to go back to where you were and I'm calling you again. Get my people out of Israel. And of course, Moses is is not too sure about this plan. And so he says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And I love that um, concept of God as I am. I am is um, unending, isn't it? It hasn't got an absolute definition because I am everything that you need. I am your financial provider. I am your healer. I am your deliverer. I will help you. I am more than enough. I am more than able. I am everything that you need. And that's the God that we serve. And, and then we heard actually last week about one of the seven I am's of Jesus. I am the bread of life. And there are seven of these that describe um, who God is or who Jesus is. Uh, let me go through the others quickly. So I am the bread, uh, they're up on the screen actually. I am the bread of life is one of them. And I have got them in my notes. I'm just trying to find them. <laughs> I am the light of the world. Yeah, let's flick them through. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I love that one. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
If anyone comes to the Father but through me, and I am the true vine. These are the I am's of God, and I want to encourage you, if ever you get to a stage in life where you're not too sure, where you're feeling like everything's falling apart, and you're not too sure if God can get you out of this mess, maybe you broke the formula yourself, I want to remind you that the I am God is bigger than anything in our lives. He's bigger than our mess. Is bigger than anything that we're trying to control. And when we're not too sure, it's a great study to go back. You can just Google it. Look up the I am's in the Bible. They're so inspiring. They remind us who God is and all that he can do for us and through us. I love that so much. You know, what's the formula? Jesus plus nothing is everything. That is the God of I am. It does require faith and trust. It's not always easy but it's worth it, and it's truth. It's truth, I am. Number two, this is perhaps my favorite, uh, God first. That's the second formula, God first. In Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God first. In Genesis, obviously, in the beginning, God. Full stop, God first. You know, in that passage of scripture, uh, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God. It's all about worry. It's all about, you know, uh, how am I gonna have clothes and food and what am I gonna wear, what am I gonna drink? And, and that's where God says, hey, if I look after the birds, if I look after the plants, can't you trust that I'm gonna look after you? But then he puts this verse in, seek first, put me first, God first. As you put me first, everything else will come into place. God first. Even when we mess up, go back, God first. The prodigal son did that. He threw everything away, he ran from his father, he took his inheritance, he, he squandered it all, but when he realized that he'd come to the very bottom and he was eating what the pigs ate, what did he do? He thought, if I just go back to my father, I can be a servant in his house. He put his father first once again and he started back and he's thinking about what he's gonna say to his dad. What does his dad do? His dad runs to meet him, runs to meet him, throws a party for him, restores him, God first. God first, and he gets back on track. When we do God first, that's kind of what Solomon was saying. The conclusion of the whole matter is fear God and follow his commands. God first. If we follow that formula, it can't go wrong. Somehow, some way, God will work it out. That's where the 828 principle comes in. That's where the 5020 comes in and the 1926. He will take everything and he'll turn it around. He'll work it. He'll do what only he can do. And in the end, it's going to work for our good. Okay, the last one is go and I will be with you. Go into all the world, Matthew says, Matthew 28, 19, and preach the gospel to all creation. And as you go, I will, be, I will be with you always till the end of time. And the same thing, we already read it earlier, but Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know, it's not my favorite formula, this one, if I'm really honest. Um, but I really believe that what God has given us is supposed to be shared. Yeah. And as we go out and we realize, oh man, what I have, you need as well. We're gonna find God is with us. That's where miraculous starts. When we step out, God steps in. His power is gonna be on us. I honestly believe we're coming into a season of evangelism and um, where the harvest comes in like we haven't seen before. And as we go, God goes with us. We can't lose with this formula. You might think oh, I can't share my faith. I often think that too, but you can. 
God gives us the words, he gives us the way, it doesn't have to be hard. All we're doing is inviting people to have what we have. You know, I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute actually. Um, and maybe the band could come up at this point, that'd be great. But you know, as we go, God will come. He'll come with us. So, I am God first. Go, and he'll be with you. Perhaps to sum all of this up, I think the key in life is learning the art of holding on and letting go. And all that I've said, we do have to hold on to God. With all that we have, we need him so badly. We need to hold on to prayer. I do believe that as we pray, things shift and things move. As we push forward, things can change. Don't hear me wrong on that. We absolutely have to pray. We have to hold on to God. Every part of us has to hold on to God. But we also have to learn to let go. We have to learn to let go of what we thought it was supposed to be, how we thought it was supposed to look, and allow God to give us the revelation and the grace to accept what is. Hold on and let go. It's so hard to do. But as we get better at it, as we develop that ability, I think our life will not be so much like this. It'll be a much more smoother path because we have the ability to hold on to God in the good times and in the bad times. We have the ability to go, you know what, that's not what I wanted it to be. That's not how I planned it. But I'll leave it with you and I'll trust you anyway. And I'll believe for the grace that I can accept what is. And that you're gonna give me revelation as I do that. That's the thing about God. (laughs) It's the thing we have to remember, is that He's a really good dad. He doesn't wanna just make life hard for us. Life is hard, but He's with us in it. He's doing good things. And honestly, like I look back and I think, God, how could you turn some of the worst moments in my life into some of the best things that I experienced today. How is that even possible? And my answer is this. I am God first. Go. He comes in. (laughs) We hold on. We let go. God does the rest. It's not an A plus B equals C. It's way more complicated. But it does work. It does require faith. It does include mystery. But at the end of the day, God is so good. He's so, so good.